podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. everybody welcome it is the global podcast i know right it's been like a hot minute since we've seen you don't know if i'm using that expression correctly i don't know what the kids are saying nowadays but it's been a while and we're back finally uh, with a very weird type of podcast we can see where it takes us and how it gets to but i've got a wonderful panel to help me through the nonsense that we've created so let's first off ai writer i don't think before tom holmes no i haven't i've been on a couple of pods with you but this isn't one of them yeah, this is your this is your global your your global virginity break. So that you're cherry popping too. That that's that's awesome. We the more the merrier. We welcome to the family, Tom. <laughs> and then he's been on global before, um, Mr. Mary Can. It's Jason Belk. How are you, Jace? I'm doing great, sir. How are you? Uh, all good, all good. And again, I'm not sure if he's been on the global podcast, but I've potted with him a couple of times. It is Nathan Stalker. How are you, Nate? Yeah, not bad. Um, yeah. Also breaking my virginity on this, so <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> so does that make me the old whore then? <laughs> <laughs> what does that make me then? Wait. <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> you're the pimp. You're, yeah, you're the, the you're like a madam. <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's right. We were all thinking it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Look. We've, we don't have a proper agenda, as, uh, as the kids say nowadays. It's not, it's not really a fixed one. What we're going to go through is I thought we would look at a couple of issues in the season. It's a good time in the season to look at a couple of things and how Liverpool are going and how we might react to it in future. Just whatever you want to talk about. But one of the first things I want to, I want to chat about is Liverpool is going to win this training camp, right? Which is like really interesting. I love the idea of sort of part way through the season training camps, but we don't seem to do well when they come back. You know, it seems to be drop points as well. What do you feel about this? What's your opinions? Tom, I'll let you go first. Well, I don't know if it's just a coincidence or if it's just something more tangible than that. It's it's one of these weird things. We've seen this quite a lot from Klopp where there are sort of these weird little coincidences that often pop up during his regime. And it might be one of those things that just uh, is to do with the planning more than anything else. It's I mean, uh, I've been part of a pod where we had a really long debate over whether or not the idea that Liverpool tend to do better in the afternoons or evenings is is a coincidence compared to the mornings and I'm just not sure that's the thing with with the uh, with the training camps it's one of those things that is probably going to work out better for us in the long run but maybe doesn't work out in the short term or maybe it is just one of those coincidences where the type of game we tend to run into after these training camps is one of those games that actually would kind of hit our Achilles heel anyway so I'm very curious to see how we do at the weekend but I'm, I'm always a fan of these training camps because I think it's very, very good for Klopp to get the lads in as many different circumstances as possible to try and train them in different ways because we know one of Klopp's best strengths is his coaching. So Klopp doing something innovative and different with his coaching is always a good thing. Nice. Nate, I'll let you pick up on that because let's say this coincidence holds and the game after we go into training camp is always sort of not optimal for Liverpool. Given the long-term effects, I mean, are you still a fan of the uh, of, of going partway through the Season 2 training camps? Yeah, I think any time that we get a, a gap like we do, we need to make the most of it. And if that's going away, actually regrouping, trying something new on the training pitch in actually better conditions than than what we've got in, in the lovely UK at the minute, it, it can't be shied away from. Um, for me, I don't... Is it a hangover effect or is it, as, as Tom was just saying, it actually... It could be it's the sort of opponent we were going to struggle against anyway. Um, yeah, it, it's a really tricky one that I'm not going to complain any extra time that Klopp has to train these guys. More time on a pitch to bed Van Dijk into that defence. More time to give carriers to learn how that relationship works. Um, more time for videos of, of Salah just mocking our entire defence to come up is, is fine by me. Um no, I, I think it's a good thing that we've done it and I think we'll see 
positives from it moving forward. I think it's something we need to keep doing, and it's just Klopp using what he's done with these gaps before in in, in previous clubs and, and applying that to Liverpool. Yeah, Jason, it sort of sounds like what Nate is saying there is that the team goes away and then they sort of come back and they've gone away to sunny weather and suddenly realize that Liverpool is very cold again. <laughs> England's very cold. It's sort of a shock. But it, it also, you know, from past experiences, and this could be the result tainting my sort of viewing of the, of the games, but we sort of look a little bit leggy. Do you think maybe, you know, for that game after the training camp, maybe, you know, Klopp sort of works them really hard, works on their fitness, gets it done, and, and that's the problem? Yeah, I guess that's possible, you know, but if you think about it from the bigger, uh, bigger picture with Klopp and being all about the team and this is being more of a, a team building exercise, not just a chance to maybe restore fitness and stuff like that. I think they can be beneficial and I really think it's just a coincidence that we've struggled after these, um, type of events. But, um, yeah, I mean, maybe he does need to maybe come back a day earlier or, or take one training session is a little bit lighter or maybe skip one. Um, Certainly our defenders, like you said, could stand to not be embarrassed uh, by Salah for a minute or two anyway. Uh, so I think maybe it, I'm sure as he's learning the players and it, it's a constant uh, process to, to understand who your team is and, and how each individual player responds and uh, constantly fluctuating and stuff like that. I'm sure that Klopp will become better and better at this, just kind of like he does with everything. Um Let's not forget he is our top level manager. He's amazing. <laughs> this is such wonderful logging in your voice, Jason. <laughs> so, Nathan, I'm going to let you start with this one because you mentioned VVD. Let's start the agenda proper. And let's talk about, firstly, I have to say thank you to Shri, who unfortunately had to bow out at the last minute of this podcast. Uh, it, would have been, it would be nice if we could have him on as well. But, He's come up with with a lot of these questions, so uh, just to attribute that to him. But, Nate, let's start this off. Can Virgil van Dijk alone solve our defensive issues? No. But Jesus himself couldn't solve our issues <laughs> in defense. So, like, let's not let's not mark him out as the next coming of the Messiah. Um, does he go a long way to helping it? Yes. Has he... In my opinion, this is something I was I was saying probably about a year ago. Actually, probably the last time we were on a pod together. Um, does it mean with Carius in goal, actually, that it's Klopp having confidence that someone in front of him is shoring that defence up to give Carius that growth and that confidence to play how he does as a keeper, which we didn't have with Lovren, Matip, Lovren, Claran, anyone? Um, yes. Do we still have issues? Yes. Um, but I think he goes a long way. And I think we've seen in terms of communication, positioning, that line, um, players' spatial awareness of what's going on around them. I think we've seen already the huge positive impacts that he's had. Um, we're yet, in my opinion, to see him really being tested as maybe a central defender within our lineup. I think he's not had easy games because no game at that level is easy, but we've not had someone sort of really going at him at all as of yet, um, which I think has helped him settle in, bed in. Um, for me, it's a big step in the right direction. We still need another new centre-back to partner him. Um, I don't trust anyone in what we've got right now mm-hmm. to be that long-term option. I, I don't, think there's any real sane person out there that would say they that they are 100% happy with it um but i think we're we're making the right moves you can't change it all in one sort of fell swoop but this is if this is the standard that we're going to be bringing into the club now then i can't wait yeah tom i'll let you carry on from there because a lot of people on social media are talking about the positive effects of Virgil for like already on our defense do you think it's too early to tell, or have you also seen those positive effects? I think I think the first thing to note is that this isn't a defence that consistently concedes goals, which is, I think, something that a lot of people get kind of mistaken by. They think they, When they look at Liverpool, they think this is a team that's going to concede a couple of goals every game. 
I'm not sure that's what we are. What we are is we're a team that can def- defends really, really well for long spells. And then in games when we go under a lot of pressure and certain circumstances, we'll concede quite a lot. So we kind of concede in clumps rather than consistently conceding, which I think is one of the reasons that we can, to an extent, bypass these defensive issues. But then that when it does rear its ugly head, it really causes problems. That's sort so of, I mean, we're sort Tom, of... I mean, we're sort of saying, where are we on the goals conceded sort of thing? I know goals conceded is not like the best measure, but aren't we like sixth or something like, or we were sixth recently, which is, it's not uh, great. It's worse than we should be, or something like that. But it's not, you know, it's not the worst. We are, we're, we're currently fifth of the tops, fifth out of the top six, sixth overall in the league in terms of goals conceded. But if you look at, we're the sort of team who'll go keep, keep, keep six clean sheets out of eight. But in the two games where we've conceded clean sheets, we'll concede six goals. Yeah. Uh, that's the sort of team where we're at at the moment is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. So f- for me, it's difficult at this stage to see to say whether or not Van Dijk. It's going to take. It is going to take a period of 20, 30, a whole season before we can sort of tangibly look at the numbers as such to say whether or not Van Dijk's having a tangible effect. Because any sort of ten game period, you could say, well, there are ten game periods over Klopp's entire regime where Liverpool didn't concede many goals. The back end of last season, for example, the last twelve games of last season, we didn't concede that many goals. There are long periods this season where we didn't concede that many goals. So, in the Champions League, for example, we haven't conceded that many goals. So the, there are clear spells where Liverpool just won't concede that many goals anyway. So I think it's difficult to kind of tangibly look at Van Dijk. What I would say is that the elements of our play that generally tend to end up with us conceding two or three goals in a game, which is that we lose our heads, we crumble under pressure a little bit, a couple of other elements of that where the players I just don't necessarily think are good enough against top opposition once they have an off day. That is the sort of stuff that Van Dyke should offset. Um, to ask the question of whether or not Van Dyke himself can fix our defence, I don't think that's a yes or no, because I think it entirely depends on what you mean by fix our defence. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that trying to set a number on how many goals we concede is not a question we should be aiming for, because realistically we're not as good, we're not going to be as good if we're the fifth best team in the league defensively, but we end up being the the second highest goal scorers, we could very easily finish second with that. That's the that's the way this season's looking like it could pan out. So having the fifth best defense in the league doesn't matter all that much if we end up getting the second hot, second best attack because we can still finish second with that. How good our defense needs to be to win the league that is an interesting question. And I mean, I stand I stand by. We can we conceded 50, 50 goals in thirty fourteen. 13-14, and you could very much argue we could have won the league having conceded 50 goals that season. I mean, you, th- there is the case we made that our defence is the reason we didn't win the league that year, but it would not have taken a significant swing in that defence for us to win the league conceding 50 goals or 48 goals. So I think wh- how many goals you need to concede and how good enough good our defence needs to be is subjective, especially when you consider that this season we're starting to see that our attacking play is definitely offsetting that. What I would say we need to do is there are certain types of game, the your severe your severes, your arsenals, mm-hmm. your um your Man Cities, where we need to stop conceding as many goals as we do under those circumstances. Because I don't mind if we're conceding a goal a game, as long as that goal a game is in three or four one wins, which is a lot of what we've been doing this season. Um I think we're getting better at stopping the sort of the Man Cities from happening the the, the Sevillas and the Arsenals from happening. Um because for example, the games like Bournemouth last season they just aren't appearing as much anymore. So I certainly think we're getting better at reducing them. And more importantly, we're getting better at outscoring our defence as well. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it is one of those things, isn't it? Like, you know, defence, defen- you, ha- you can't separate defence and attack. Certain teams will need a better defence to win the league than others. Um, so, for example, Chelsea will need a defence that is pulling in top two in the league in order to win the title because they don't, they don't score enough goals. Um, Teams like Spurs have a good balance, but then there are teams like Liverpool and Arsenal which will need to score more goals because their defence just isn't as good. So when you talk about fixing our defence, you have to put it in the context of how many and how good does how good does our defence need to be to win the league, and that's entirely dependent on how good our front four or front three ends up being. Yeah, I mean that's interesting because like our entire, I mean especially with Liverpool. Almost, you could say. Uh, I think you could probably maybe say the Pep system as well. But I mean, he's flying so high at the moment, so difficult to see the vulnerabilities there. 
But like with Liverpool, it just tends to be our whole system is the attack and it is the defense. It's it's not separated like a couple other teams. Like Mourinho can always rely on that defense, sort of. You know, if if his attacks are not working with ours, if if one thing is not working, it's a bit of a problem. And so, when you have the midfield that we do under particular situations, maybe it doesn't. You know, it doesn't sort of work as well. Um, so I mean, it's quite interesting to me as well. Again, uh, to veer off the subject a little bit, like Van Dijk moving into midfield, a lot of Matip moving into midfield, and how that affects our defense uh, in terms of you know like. A defender moving into the midfield moves your opposition attackers, and then now they're in a slightly different defensive position to what they would have been before if we had just done a natural movement from our defense to our midfield, sort of. So, I mean, it's really interesting, sort of, uh, push and pull when it comes to a Jürgen Klopp team with this kind of stuff. Jason? Yeah, I agree. Sorry. <laughs> Jason, what do you think about all this? Uh, do you, like, I mean, again, I'll ask you the same question I asked Tom. Do you feel that already Virgil van Eyck has added a little bit of something or is that just our sort of confirmation bias looking at him and his sort of marvelous physique walking around with his handsome ass face just you know heading balls away is that is that what it is it's probably a bit of both to be perfectly <laughs> honest um he is an just an impressive footballer um you can see the 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 command he has over our opponents and to be honest with you, our, our, our own squad. Um, I, I feel like Karius has looked better, um, every game that he's played with Van Dyke. I feel like Lovren, Clav, oh, Clavin hasn't played with him, but Lovren and Matip have both looked significantly better playing with him. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Is he the only thing we need to make our, our defense better? Obviously not. Um, we probably need a, another center back, um, high quality center back to partner him at the very least. I was very much on the, we need a new goalkeeper, but Karius's form in the last few games, and I know it's just a few games, but, um, has really intrigued me. And if we could, um, you know, go with him as our number one and if he's good enough and I, I want to think that he is, uh, and we can save that money that we would have to spend on an Allison or an uh, um, O'Black um, and invest that somewhere else in the in the squad. I think that's a much better use of our resources. So I'm hoping that the Van Dyke effect, as we can call it, uh, continues to permeate through uh, that entire back line and, and our center mids, everything. Um, I think it's a trust thing for if nothing else. They all trust that he's going to do the right thing and he's going to be in the right place. And um, they know if they go on, you know, if you're Jordan Henderson and you go randomly press the wrong person, like he tends to do sometimes, um, you know, Van Dyke's back there to, to clean up the mess. And, and our system is such that we're going to give up chances from time to time and we're going to allow goals from time to time. But as everyone else has said, you know, as long as our attack is good enough, and I, if we can keep the players we have, our attack will be good enough. So um, we can mitigate some of that. We're going to concede goals. We're never going to have the defense that allows 20 to 25 goals in a season. That's just not the way that that's going to work for us, I don't think. So uh, as long as we have Mo and, and Mane and, and Bobby and whoever else we bring in in the summer, Christian Pulisic, um to keep us going on an attacking sense. I think we're in good shape moving forward. I think the other thing to note is that we are improving year on year defensively. Um, I said this year, if we could get below 40 goals conceded in the league, that would be an achievement. I think it will be, it doesn't look like we're going to get quite that low, but it looks like we're going to be there or thereabouts as well. And part of that's just about partnerships. If you build the right team around having the right amount, the, the right players so that you've got a core of players that were all, uh, you know, defending together week on week, as you said, with, as um was mentioned with the training camps, it's just a case of getting Carrius, Van Dyke, and then if it's going to be Matip, if it's going to be Lover, if it's going to be someone else, getting them spending as much game time together as possible. And this defense is going to improve. Um, it is just a case of seeing how we go over an entire season because realistically, it's all well and good saying we've improved as the season's gone on, but that that was the case last season, and we still started this season really badly defensively. So it is just a case of building an entire 
campaign defensively strongly rather than being defensively strong in fits and starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, good points, good points, guys. I, d- I do like the point that you made, Jason, about the trust that sort of seems to be, but again, it could be just my confirmation bias because I really do like Virgil van Dijk, but it just seems like we have this concept of like leadership as shouting, you know, we, we've had it for a while mm-hmm. um, it, in terms of uh, somebody's there and they're appointed the leader and that person has shouted everybody to get them I- into action. And it sort of looks like Virgil van Dijk is talking to everybody and just saying, hey, you didn't tell me about that guy behind me. I want you to talk a little bit more. And then, you know, people start nodding heads. So I do hope, I do hope that these are good signs for the future. More communication along the right ways is better. Um, that, you know, that he's so good in the air, that he's adds to our attack as well is important. As Tom was saying, we've got the, you know, the better our attack, just the, the better the whole system. And maybe we can move the question onto sort of the midfield at the moment. Cause what we've got at the moment is some iteration of three hardworking midfielders and our front three. How do you guys see that? How do you guys see, seen that and how it, it's worked this season, last season and going forward? Is it a viable way to look at staying in the top four, but more to the point, Tom, winning the league and, and getting somewhere? Um, this is one that in the writers chat, we've been having a big debate over. I am very much in the column that I actually think not only do I think this is uh, a viable way forward, I think this is actually the best way forward. Um, I actually think, contra- slightly controversially, that the balance of our team looks better with a, with a hardworking three if we're going to play a three-man midfield. Um, because we've, I think the three-man midfield, often with Phil in it, there wasn't enough space for the front four to operate in. I think there was just too many attacking players in that team. I think with a 4-3-3, I think if we're going to have the 4-3-3, I do think we can work it with a hardworking midfield because the hardworking midfield does add more defensive balance. But more to the point, I think there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that our front three are not good enough to score enough goals on their own. Our front three are absolutely all, all fantastic players. They're all scoring lots and lots of goals. But more importantly, they are creative enough in and off their own backs. Um, a lot of the problems that people thought we'd have after Coutinho left was that we wouldn't be creative enough. We've been more than creative enough over the last couple of months. And we've been more than creative enough point blank without Coutinho in this side or without Mane in this side. Um as long as we've had at least two of that fab four, at least two of the three that are on the pitch at the moment, we haven't struggled as much for creativity. I think we've got what it takes. I think in that team, we've got enough to break down a low block with Salah and Firmino. We've got enough to counter-attack effectively against good teams. I, I think the, the, the midfield balance is working really, really well at the moment. And I, I don't think there's any reason whatsoever to suggest that we're going to need... um to play with a more creative midfield. Um, the one thing, the one thing I would suggest is that if we were to go to a four-four-two, that might be a different question um, because I do think the four-four-two mm. is an option that has worked. But in terms of the four-three-three specifically, then yeah, I think if you put a midfield of M- some combination of Hendo, Emre, Genie, and Milner, there's absolutely no reason to suggest that 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 any combination of that isn't working really well at the moment and won't continue to work. Do you feel, Tom, just to continue this, uh, to win the league with hardworking midfield, do you think we need to get better midfielders in that mould, or do you think the current set is adequate for that? I think that's a tough question. Um, I think there's a lot of areas in our team that could be improved. Um, I think as much, I think goalkeeper, centre-back, midfield are all areas that could be improved. Do I think the current squad is good enough to win the league? No. Do I think the current squad with Cater in it is enough to win the league? Entirely plausibly. It, the problem is, it's very, very hard to say because this season in particular, I know people go on about it, but City have changed the game and what it takes to win the league. Do I think we have a midfield that's good enough to go and get a 100-point season like City doing? Obviously not. Do I think we've got a midfield good enough to get an 85-point season if we potentially sign a good goalkeeper or a centre-back? Well, yeah, I do think, I mean, a lot of people are happy to go on about how bad our midfield is. I don't think our midfield is significantly worse than many of the top six midfields. Um, in, in terms of the balance of the side, I don't think we really need to worry too much about the midfield if we're going to continue on this current sort of tactics. I do, especially if you factor in that we have already signed Cater. I do think if we lose Emre, we need to replace him. Um, and I, I certainly wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say a creative, force in the midfield would be a bad thing obviously a creative force in the midfield would be an improvement 
Um, but I think if we get a goalkeeper that is of a world-class standard, or if we get another centre-back that is of a world-class standard, if we have a little bit more depth in the front three, I I don't think our midfield is a million miles away from where it needs to be, is what I would say, although obviously I think you could improve on it. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Nathan, what's your opinion on that? Um, I think the Emery thing is, is quite key for me. Um, if we take it at face value right now, Kieta is replacing Emery in the starting 11. Um, I think as Tom was saying, actually, if that happens, then we're going to need to replace him. I think Kieta, Emre's replacement being in a similar mold and one of Genie, Hendo, whoever could do it, but I think you're relying on City standing still and they're not going to stand still. They're going to keep improving. They're going to keep building. Um, they're the team I worry about. I think with a couple more signings, I, I do personally think we're ahead of, of Chelsea. I think Tottenham aren't consistent enough. Arsenal uh, in a big, big rebuilding thing that they're going to have to go through when a new manager, my prediction is a new manager will come in there in the summer. Um, I think they're potentially out of the equation for the next two years. Um, so it is just a case of how much longer will United put up with Jose or how long will Jose go before he starts pissing people off at United. Looks like we've probably got another year of that. Um, the excuses are starting to whirl up already, which is, is always good to see. Um, he can then go off to PSG and have fun there. Um, so do I think it could do it? Yeah, in theory, with maybe one or two more. I don't necessarily know in the real world how that will translate. Um, but Tom made some really good points in there. Um, just actually about, is it the area that works? I think, as he said, the balance is really good right now. Um, but it is quite a small sample since Phil left. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it does. I think it's the right midfield to stick with for the rest of the season. Um, the names that we're being linked to do link, well, lead me to believe it is more of the hard working approach that we're going to go there and that the creativity, creativity, I really can't talk today, um, flow through that front three. Um, I think that will work and then we just need to keep building. But I think if we're going into it, into next season with Hendo potentially being a regular first team starter, I don't think that's enough personally. All right. And just, I mean, Jason, Tom, Tom's brilliant arguments seem to have uh, sort of convinced us, but he, he does have a point there that the, this hardworking three-man midfield has sort of gotten us to top four. It looks like it might do it for us again, but a lot of people complain about particular things, you know, not being able to control games in certain in certain phases of play, not being able to sort of uh, be instrumental from uh, create creativity from deep in terms of breaking down a low block and so on and so forth. Where do you stand on it? Hardworking midfield or not? I would prefer a little more creativity. Um, if we're a club that's going to be about winning things, leagues or the Champions League, which is what we exist to do, right, is to win trophies, and those are the two biggest ones, I don't think that our midfield is, is creative enough as it stands. Um, I don't think it's far. I think a lot of it has to do with the Emery, what he decides to do. Um, but if we're swapping him for Kata, I think that's an upgrade. Um, I think Kata is going to be dynamic. I think his style is going to fit the Premier League really well. And if he can quit accumulating yellow and red cards, we'll be in good shape. <laughs> but, uh, my fear is, um, is Henderson, to be honest with you. If we are going to rely on him to be the six. I don't think he's good enough anymore. Um, big Henderson fan. I have a jersey that says Henderson on the back, to be honest, and um, really wish that the foot problems and, and stuff that he's he's had over the last couple of years had not crept up because I really think that it's going to be a chronic thing and it's going to be an every-year issue. So if we're going to count on him to be our starting six, Emory leaves, who else do we have? Um, are we good enough there? And the reality is, is we're not. Um, now Klopp probably has some kind of master plan that we're not privy to. 
But as it stands, I don't see us having a midfield that's good enough to win the league. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, and that's it's one of the points for me. I I, I do think that we're lacking on, but I mean, you, you it, it's Tom's Tom's arguments again have come in that, that this is the midfield that has gotten us somewhere. It's just maybe we just need a bit more depth and maybe a couple of better mid, a little bit of specialist midfielders. But I like his point about the yeah. space in the front four as well, and just. Well, being in the midfield and staying in the midfield sort of and occupying that space instead of interfering with the front. Sure. Sure. And I, I really think that the, the difference in quality is not great in from what we have to where we need to be, but there is a difference. Um, and it, and it's mostly, um, from my opinion, anyway, it's a, it's a passing thing. Um, Henderson can do some good things with the ball, but not always. And um, I just feel like in that position, we need a better option for a, kind of a deep-lying playmaker. A better passer from that position would allow allow us to be uh, even more explosive um, offensively. And I think that's the, the rub. That's where we, we kind of fall down just a little bit. Can I jump in on this, actually? One thing that um, has been mooted in the last couple of months that actually I'm starting to see is that in terms of deep-lying playmakers, that is a role we're starting to see the centre-backs doing now, especially against the deep-lying low blocks. Because against the low blocks, I think actually the Swansea game is a great example of this, so even though it didn't obviously work. But but it, but Van Dijk in that deep role, that did work against Swansea. It was just that the finishing wasn't quite there. Van Dijk ended up creating the most chances for Liverpool in that game. He ended up creating our two best chances as well, Salah's volley and Firmino's um, header. Both of those from him playing in that sort of deep-lying playmaker role, which I think clearly can work against both sets of teams. Because against the against the uh, the low blocks, against teams that are going to sit really deep, that will give someone like Van Dijk space in their half to operate. And we know Van Dijk's very, very good at that sort of quarterback role. And then against the big teams, when we're having to counterattack quite quickly, if Van Dijk wins the ball in his own half, in his own third, we know he's capable of playing those long passes or those direct passes up to someone like Firmino or Salah to counterattack. So I do think, I certainly agree. I mean, I certainly agree we don't have a deep line playmaker in our midfield. And I certainly think if I was to pick someone, I think I certainly think that's going to be what Klopp is looking for as well. I've spoken before mm-hmm. about how I don't, Klopp is not going to go out and sign a DM. I don't think he is. He's going to look to sign someone who is more of the Henderson mold, kind of deep line playmaker kind of type. Um, I certainly think we are going to sign someone in our midfield because I agree if you take Emery out of our midfield, our midfield isn't going to be good enough. Um, but I certainly think Van Dyke is capable of fulfilling that role to an extent, which I definitely think will negate the need for a deep line playmaker. Especially, especially given that we don't know what Naby's position is going to be yet. We're all a, a lot of people are assuming Kate is going to come in and play in the eight. He equally could end up playing in a four-four-two. We talked. I mean, Kate's role at, uh, um, at Leipzig currently is as part of a double pivot, which it wouldn't surprise me to see him play in again. Um, equally, he can play as the six. I wouldn't be surprised to see Naby as the six at all. So it, it very much depends on. I think it's going to be difficult to predict our midfield for next season until we've seen exactly who who all the component parts are and how they fit together because even even at the start of last season for example when we look at the when we looked at the cogs we had and how our midfield was going to operate I don't think anybody would have predicted the way that the the way that Henderson, Lalana and Genie ended up being the being the two being the combinations especially when you consider Emre dropping in as the 8 and Hendo as the 6 that's not something a lot of people would have predicted so I think it's kind of difficult to look at our midfield for the next season and say what it's going to be like, given that we don't know what formation we're going to play, who's going to play in which positions. We can, you know, we can make predictions, but I'm not, I'm not convinced we can really extrapolate beyond the next three months, which is kind of where I think if you look at our midfield right now, assuming Emre stays, assuming we get Kater in, I think it is just about good enough. But I think realistically, if Emre leaves, then it's an entirely hypothetical scenario because we, we, we've got to assume we're going to sign someone in that position if Emery leaves, I think. We have to. I think we have to. It would make sense. Yeah, <laughs> it would make sense. All right, Nathan, you've been quiet for a little while. I'm going to let you start up on our, our final big question of the evening. And that's to do with Klopp's rotation 
this season, you know, relative to what he saw last season, a lot of people reacted pretty badly to that when we when we first started seeing like six changes a game, for example. Um, especially looking at, for example, the derby uh, with Everton and the result we got from that. What is your opinion on that rotation versus the results we've gotten, especially over this January and now into February period? Uh, look at where we are on the table. <laughs> it's a, a kind of blunt answer to that. Um, people don't like what they don't necessarily understand. Klopp's done this based off how poorly last January went and actually you can clearly see that is where he learned from probably his biggest learning curve about coming to England and learning actually how much that takes out of players, out of your training time, out of everything, recovery, all of that scenarios. Um, for me, it's, it's no different to what Rafa was doing. Do you know what I mean? When it sort of 10 years ago, he was changing left, right and center. We, we knew there was always going to be at least one change. I think it's worked. I think if you look at the squad, we have to do it. Um, the concern is we can't rotate really Bobby's role without a significant drop off. One in confidence, but two in that overall quality. Um, for the rest of the season, I think he's got to play pretty much every game. Um, take him off if we're, if we're two, three nil up, but bar that, you've got to, you've got to start him as much as you can. Um, I, I mean, yeah, with, with two points off second, City are in, in just an absolute world of their own. So like, let's take them out of the equation. And if you look at it, we're, we're two points off United. Actually, we're, on a good run, we're confident. We've proved that defeat after the City game was a blip. Um, let's keep going, get behind them. We've got new confidence in, actually, as Tom was saying, we don't concede in sort of one or two every game it is in those patches. Actually, we're looking a lot more confident at the minute that that patch doesn't look like it's going to rear its head really, hopefully, well, hopefully, anytime soon. <laughs> um, so I'm all for it. Um, it was one of my bugbears that actually he wasn't rotating before and we were just seeing the same absolutely broken players come through. Um, I think he's done the right thing recently. I know Gomez has been injured, but actually I think Trent getting a run in that right back spot has done him the world of good. Um, and I think Gomez's injury has come actually at a fortunate time for him where the pre- where he was starting to get some negative press about not being able to judge the flight of a ball in the air. And that side of things. So for me, I, I don't see any issues with it and I can't understand why anyone would have an issue with us trying to maintain our players being at optimal performance for as long as possible. Tom, do you have any issues with the rotation? And let's extend this a little bit as well. It seems that as Nate was saying, the rotation is in response to the fact that we don't have as big a squad as maybe we would like. What happens when we have a squad that's sort of big enough for, you know, to comp- looking at our rivals, competing with our rivals and the types of squads that they have. If we get to that point, do we still do stuff like that? I am a big fan of the idea that you rotate when you need to, not for the sake of rotation. And I certainly think if you look at the teams that have ended up being the best in recent years, uh, Leicester, Chelsea, even Man City this season, they don't rotate that much. Um, I don't think rotation is ne- necessary except to the extent where you need to make sure you're managing players. Um, so I think that my, my point, I think if you look at how rotation should work optimally, you want a situation where your best players are playing all the time. Realistically, um, if you look at this season, who are the players that have played the most minutes? Firmino and Salah. That's the way you want it to be. Uh, you look at City, for example, De Bruyne is going to be playing almost every game. That's the way you want it. Uh, someone like um, Aguero, Jesus is obviously the best scenario for them. But you've got players like Sterling who are going to be playing almost every game. So I think what we've done so far that I've really enjoyed is that we've rotated in areas that aren't necessarily as important or that we haven't necessarily had a massive drop off of quality. So we've rotated the fullbacks quite a bit. We've rotated the central midfield, given that a lot of the midfielders are there or thereabouts the same and they're all pretty similar quality. We wrote, when we had the front four, we were rotating Mane out a bit because in my mind, at least now, he's the least, he's the most expendable of that front three. Um, 
We rotated the centre-backs a bit, but not loads, and it's mostly been injury-based, so that's been pretty decent to watch. So realistically, we're only at the moment this season, we've not really rotated the players that are our best players, and I'm not sure that's necessarily just a case of a depth thing. I think it's just a case of you want your best players to play as many minutes as possible. Where we have, where we, I think, where I think rotation will be good next season, and this is purely, I think the the only two reasons I think rotation will be ex, will be good good for next season. One, I'd like to have more players, so if we do get a serious injury, it's not an issue. I think I'm not overly concerned about Bobby playing the majority of minutes. I'm concerned about what happens if Bobby can't play the majority of minutes. I think Bobby's already shown his fitness levels are good enough that you can just go and play the vast majority of minutes. Um, and the other scenario is that we can make a proper cup run because it's kind of as I, I don't care that much about the FA or Carling Cups and I've been pretty open about the fact I really don't care that we were knocked out of both early. In fact, I'm almost glad we were. But it would be nice if we could make a proper FA Cup run because we can because we can afford to send out a second string that is actually pretty solid. Um, this is I mean this is one of the reasons Man United are doing well and are winning trophies without being a good side. Man United have not been particularly good for the last four years, so they've consistently done met in the league. But because their squad is deep in terms of they've got players that are of a similar quality levels down, then they're not great, but they're of similar quality. They can afford to go and win something like the the Europa League or the EL Cup or the FA Cup because they can afford to rotate their squad without a significant drop off in quality. And that means they're going to win the majority of games against lesser opposition, which means they can go and win cup competitions to an extent that we necessarily couldn't. I think that's one of the reasons we burnt out at the end. One of the reasons we burnt out quite a lot at the end of 15-16 was we just didn't have the depth to compete across multiple fronts. Um, I think it's a tough one, really, because I think ultimately I think we can balance league and Champions League at the moment. I think... I mean, I could be proven wrong and we could seriously burn out in the last month of the season, which I'm hoping won't happen. But I think we've rotated really well up until this point. I don't really want to see much rotate as much rotation going forward just because I think we've managed the difficult period of the season. Now we should be going full throttle with our best players as, as many games as possible. I, I like that. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of good to be, to come out of a, a, an approach like that. Uh, Jason, what do you think? You know, react to what Tom is saying there specifically about when to rotate, how to rotate for sort of, do it in more strategic sense, but also do we, you know, as a, as a second part of that question, do we look at rotation with a with too much of a sh- of of a near term basis? Because what's quite interesting about this, you know, you have this rotation and so many players are getting used, and the lesser the, the people who don't play as much, they are getting some game time. So you do have like the Gomez's and the, and the Alexander Arnold sort of coming in and getting game time that they perhaps wouldn't normally have gotten. That might be big for us if we look towards next season and the following season, that kind of thing. I'm just, what do you think about all that? No, I, I definitely agree with Tom as far as this, the remainder of this season. I want to see our best players playing as much as possible. Um, I think that outside of an impact injury, I think Klopp's done a great job of managing the players more than rotating them. Um, so that hopefully we can play these last whatever 11 league games and hopefully numerous uh, Champions League games with the best available 11. Um, and that hopefully these guys aren't burned out. And I think um, Simon Brundish has put some stuff out with AI Pro um, about how well good of a job they've done managing the minutes. And these guys are really primed and ready to go uh, for the remainder of the season. But yes, um, I'm a big advocate of let's see what the young guys can do um, in a lot of cases. And I, I think that Klein being hurt this year or whatever's going on with him is going to facilitate us maybe for the next seven, eight years at either right back, center back, center mid, because we have two legitimate um quality young guys playing in that right back position and getting valuable minutes that you know not only can can help us in the fact of we have those two good players um but save us um you know some money um you know if you think Trent's going to be your right back of the future then that's awesome and you can use Joe at center back and vice versa if you want to think Joe's going to be the right back for the next 6 years 
well, by golly, let's get Trent in the midfield some. Um, so I think that it, it's been a win-win situation. Um, the manager knows what he's doing um, a lot better than we do, and we just kind of need to trust. I think that he's uh, – when we see that rotation and, you know, don't want it against Everton, and I get that, but um, when we see that, we need to trust that he's doing what's best for us in the short and the long term. Yeah, yeah, no. It's it's such an interesting thing because it it looks like Klopp has learned from the previous season when we just looked dead in January. And despite him implementing something, there there was a lot of there was a lot of anger, a lot of sort of frustration about what's going on. But uh, it, it it seems to have opened a little bit of a jerk now when you look at the results that we've gotten and the trajectory that we're on currently. So. I mean, yeah, it's, it's been it's been interesting. It's we, we, and we'll see how it affects us sort of in the second half of the season. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see how Klopp then rotates and approaches squad management next season because I don't think we'll have a much bigger squad per se. There'll be people leaving and coming in, but it doesn't look like Klopp is going to. He, he doesn't look like a type of manager who's just going to go out and sort of buy seven eight players. You know, all that sure. Klopp's always talked about how he likes having a tight group. He's always talked about how he doesn't like massively changing up the squad because he likes to know all his players really well and likes to have a good chemistry. And I think for someone like Klopp, having a tight-knit group of a lot of players that you can trust to get a lot of minutes is better than having a bigger squad where you're not really sure who's going to play each game. I think with Klopp, he, as I say, it's all about... I mean, the, the trust point is just bang on and that's so much easier to maintain when you've got a tight-knit, slightly smaller squad to deal with. Well, and I think too, we're going to see some in and out this summer. Um, but I think it's going to be not necessarily a bigger group, but a, a better group. I think we'll see a little more quality. So instead of looking at the bench and seeing Danny Ings, we'll look at the bench and see, I'm going to say the name again because it's what I want to happen, but Christian Pulisic. Um, uh, and, you know, so I think that that's, that's where we're going to see the change, not in numbers, but in in quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that might be pretty cool. Yeah. So we'll have to see how that... So, and I'm also interested to see how that affects squad performance in terms of getting a little bit more quality. Like what we talked about with Virgil van Dijk, like maybe he comes in and makes a couple of the plays around him play a little bit better. Like, so what if, what if Keita does that as well? What if, you know... Somebody else comes in, makes the the midfield active better, wave the uh, better right back or left back or whatever does that better keeper, whatever we get in. So that's that's going to be an interesting part of next season. But we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves. We need to navigate the second half of the season first. The thing is, when you've got a player who is a guaranteed first choice in a position, say for example, centre back and central midfield. If you've got a centre back who is not going to be dropped for a big game. You've got a central midfielder who is not going to be dropped for a big game in the likes of Kater and Van Dyke. It means everyone else is playing for one spot. Matip and Lovren are fighting for one spot now, so they have to play better. They're not they can't then you know they're not securing the knowledge that the next player coming in is Clavan and Clavan's not as good as those two. They're not as secure you know, Hen Emery and Henderson, for example, they're not you know, they're better than Vinealdum, they're better than Melner. They're they're gonna be pretty much starters. They can't think like that anymore. If Hem if Emery and Hendo are for, are fighting for one spot, then that does increase the level of quality in that midfield because it means they have to play better week in, week out to get that positions. It's it's exactly the reason that we're seeing such good levels at right back and left back this season because Moreno and Robertson know they are fighting for one spot and they're playing really, really well as a as a result. Yeah. Uh, good points, good points. Guys, that has been brilliant. I wanted to keep the pod a little bit shorter and you've done just excellently today. So that's a good place for us to end it. I'm going to let you guys do some plugs for whatever you want to you want to plug, so I'll start with you, Nathan. What have you got going on? This is the first time you've potted in forever, by the way. And this is literally, I did uh, the wrestling pod, and that was probably my first pod in about six months the other day. Um, yeah, and me, miss you. me and Guy just sort of haven't done the, the Academy pod. Um, it's been a nightmare trying to get yeah. one both of our schedules together it's, it's yeah um and i think guy is gonna die if he doesn't talk about Gramara, guy, like very soon literally, but, <laughs> but guy can't do more pods like let's be honest we have him on too much he just he loves doing it um I, literally the only thing i can plug is just listen to everything that comes out on the channel to be honest um 
for me, it's brilliant. It just makes my drives to work so much easier. Um, the AI Pro stuff is absolutely phenomenal. So just listen to some, listen to, um, it won't be my dulcet tones that often, but yeah, just have a listen to something that you might want to learn about. You, you'll pick something up from anyone on any of these pods. Nice, nice. And, and for you, Jason, as well, for you, it's, it's been, uh, you're coming a little bit more into the podcast, but we've missed you on podcast soon. You got anything you want to plug? I have nothing going on right now. Um, <laughs> other than what we discussed earlier. Um, I haven't been on a USA pod lately because I, I, I didn't show up for one because I completely forgot. So I don't blame them <laughs> for moving on without me. Um, but no, I, my only plug is obviously AI pro. It's awesome. There is so much content. I literally get to listen to a pod every day. Um, and they're all great. Um, I have to choose between them sometimes. There's almost too much content. Uh, but being from the U.S. and all the stuff that's gone on here in the recent uh, couple weeks with the school shootings and stuff, let's just love our neighbors. You know, let's just be nice to each other and be kind. That's kind of what my plug should be for today. Uh, quit worrying about being mad at everybody and Let's just be nice to each other, and everything will work out better. So thanks for having me on, Kay. Oh, no, that's lovely, Jason. That was really, really cool. Uh, Tom, what you have you got going on? I'm sure there's a writer's pod on the horizon. Uh, yep, we've got a writer's pod that's currently out that we did on Friday. That one is just me and Adam, Petrucian, but it's really, really good. We're talking about whether or not Liverpool should, whether or not FSG should buy a feeder club. That's a really interesting lesson because it's something, the sort of thing we don't normally discuss. Um and then, yep, we've got another one out. We're doing it Thursday night. That should be good. We're hoping to get some good guests on because there's some really good stuff out on the site at the moment. But yeah, uh, the writer's pod is the big one that I obviously do every week and that I always push on other pods. So please, please give that a listen. It's really great. We have some fantastic writers on the site and it's really good to get their views. Um, I have actually got an article out as well. That is about how our game against Porto basically sent a message to the rest of Europe that we are back on the top table and we're not going anywhere anytime soon. Nice, nice. I think the just the better, the more we can live in the afterglow of Porto, just the nicer. Because I was so <laughs> terrified of the game when we finished. I, it was just, it was lovely. So yeah, uh, do do go check that out. Uh, my plug, I will give to AI Pro guys. Get on it again. Still, there's a seven day free trial. So do do check it out. Um, you think the free stuff is good? Like the like my guests have been excellent tonight. Go check out some of the stuff on the the subscriber side as well because you know x pros and wonderful analysis it's all there so do check that out until we see you again i don't know when we're going to do a, a global soon but uh but she does have some time so hopefully you will you will get another one of the band together and until i see you again probably for face off take care of yourselves bye bye Network.